We've got a special treat this morning. We have a guest preacher who, here, who is here with us. You've probably heard me talk about Church United. Church Uniting is a gathering of some 150 or so pastors and churches here in South Florida who unite as Christian churches across denominations and tribes and traditions that say we are team Jesus and we want to see Jesus's kingdom come right here in South Florida. And so this morning, we are very privileged and I'm excited to have my brother and friend, Eddie Copeland, who is the executive director. Can you stand to your feet and give him a big greenhouse South Florida welcome as he takes the stage? Wild applause for Eddie Copeland as he brings the fuego. I feel like I'm in a WWE like wrestling match with that intro. Hey, good morning. You guys can sit down. Good morning. It is so good to be here and open up God's word. Thank you together this morning. I found a, a block of wood backstage for my iPad, so uh, it's not a prop. I don't like those in church, so, um, but I am going to use it. So this morning, we are going to look at one of my favorite passages of scripture. But before we get going, can I just take a moment to say uh, this church is known in South Florida. Whether you're joining us online, whether you're new here, maybe you've stumbled into church this morning, can I just say you have found a beautiful and generous church to grow in and to be a part of God's kingdom and to find community in. And I don't just say that to all the churches that I have the privilege of speaking at. I truly mean that. So can we honor John and Nancy and what you guys have cultivated here? It's truly beautiful and you have something to be proud of, man, for real. Okay, so uh, today we kick off a series called Living on purpose, living on purpose. And we're going to look at how God has planted something unique in me, in you, in your family. You see, he's given you calling. He's given you giftings. Whether you're a pilot, a plumber, a postal worker, I don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom or a seasoned executive, God has something for you. You've been created to bring the realities and the ethics of this kingdom to your friends, to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your dinner tables and friends. That's what living on purpose looks like. Because as we find our purpose, what happens? South Florida begins to change. Our dinner table conversations begin to change. And that's what this series is going to be all about. And here's why I think this is so timely for the life of the church, not just greenhouse, but for the churches of our community. You see, South Florida has a little bit of a unique problem in the church. And in my role, I, I have a kind of, a, I guess, a unique perch, you could call it, where I get to go around and speak at and work with a lot of pastors in Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach County. And there's something unique about the lostness here in South Florida. You see, a, a few months ago, our friends at Barna Research, this leading national research firm, unveiled after we had asked them to commission this study, they unveiled the results of the largest research project ever conducted on the state of the church, the state of faith in South Florida. And that research revealed something really, really interesting that I think is appropriate even for our text this morning, is that people here in South Florida identify as a Christian. That's strange. Like, we're, we're not as lost as, like, the Northeast and the Northwest. So, yeah, is South Florida a post-church, post-Christian environment? Yes, it is. But here's the thing. 76% of people in South Florida would identify as a Christian. They'd say, I'm a Christian. I'm not a Hindu. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm a Christian. You see, 
we have people in our pews, 53% of people in our pews that say, not only am I a Christian, I'm a born-again Christian. I believe that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Yet here's the thing. Watch this. So 76, 53, 3%, 3% of people in our pews would identify as believing the basics of what it means to follow after Jesus. Only 3% of our people would affirm that they believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, that they believe that their faith in Jesus compels them to share it with others, that heaven is real, that hell is real. Guys, that's a really unique problem to sell for. We got Christians we got people in our pews that come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and they're putting their hands up and they're worshiping and yet they have yet to discover Jesus. They have yet to discover the purpose that he brings in their lives. So friends, this morning we're going to read a story in the Gospel of John about a woman who had a bit of a checkered past. She had a bit of a story. But she also had a bit of faith. And we're going to look at what happens when she encounters Jesus. We're going to look at what happens when she discovers her purpose. This is such a beautiful passage. Like I mentioned, it's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because it's the longest recorded dialogue in all of the Bible about Jesus and what he has and as he's talking to another person. Here's what we learn. We learn so much about the nature and the character of Jesus, but we also see this beautiful picture of who we are and what happens when we encounter him, what happens when we discover our purpose. So if you're the note-taking type this morning, we're going to look at just three simple points. We're going to look at one, your story. Two, we're going to look at God's story. And three, we're going to look at of the world story. So let's pray. Let's ask God to meet us. And we're going to read from John chapter 4, verses 4 through 30. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning with the prayer of what we just sang. Let it be you, or let it be nothing. Would you move in our hearts, God? Would you stir us to faith? Would you meet us powerfully this morning? Would we leave here today having met you saying, I got to tell everybody about this. Meet us, God. Amen. All right, so if you've got your phone, uh, flip over to your Bible app or get your Bible out. We're going to read from John chapter 4, verses uh, 4 through 30. Here now from the Word of God. Scripture says, now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where can I get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and all of his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will indeed never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man that you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place that we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman, but no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. That is such a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture. Man, that's exactly what happens when we encounter Jesus and we allow our story and his story to collide together. So with that kind of encounter in the back of our mind, let's jump into our first point, your story. You see, the most interesting thing, as I mentioned about the research on the state of the church here in South Florida, is that 76% of people would say that they're a Christian. Now, as I also said, 53% of those people would say that they've made a personal commitment to Jesus. They would identify as being born again, and they believe that they would go to heaven when they die. Yet only 3% would attest to believing and affirming the fundamental realities, the basics of what it means to follow after Jesus. And here's the point. When these 76% of people were asked, why do you identify as a Christian? Here's what they said. Here was the theme. I was looking for an easy and comfortable religion that identifies with how I view myself. I was looking for an easy and comfortable religion that identifies with how I view myself. Let that sink in for a second. Here's the problem. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's a relationship that begins and is sustained by us getting in touch with some of the most uncomfortable parts of our own stories. It's a relationship that begins when we lay bare before Jesus and say, here I am, here I am in my mess, here I am in my story. Jesus, would you have your way? Let it be you or let it be nothing at all. Similar to our text this morning, the woman at the well, she had some faith. Most scholars would agree that she is a person of faith. She believed in the Messiah. Look at verse 25. It says, I know that the, that the Messiah called the Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. You see, this was her nod to faith. And it's not too dissimilar to what we see filling many of our pews in South Florida today. It's not too dissimilar to the church. We have people who have some faith 
but they have yet to encounter Jesus. They have yet to be awakened to their purpose. You see, this morning we find a woman that gives us a mirror, it gives us a glimpse into our own stories, into a mirror of what we see filling many of our churches today. We find a woman who is spiritual, who has some faith, yet has a bit of a past. She has a bit of a story. She feels unworthy. She feels unlovable. She feels unusable in the kingdom of God. Friends, listen, this woman in Samaria would have been considered the least likely person in all of her neighborhood, in all of her region to be used to do anything significant, let alone work in the kingdom of God. You gotta understand that. You see, this morning we find a woman who has yet to discover who she was, who she belongs to, And what it means in light of encountering Jesus, she hadn't yet discovered her purpose. But you see, up until verse 15 of our passage, we find this woman and Jesus kind of having this very kind, very cordial kind of back and forth dialogue. He's like, hey, can I get some water? And she's like, well, what are you going to draw water with? You, You have nothing. And he goes, well, if you knew who it was that's asking you, like, you know, you'd ask me for living water. And she's kind of like amused. Okay, I'll play this game, right? Like, Tell me about this living water and where can I find it? Right? It's, it's this kind of cordial back and forth. And yet everything changes in verse 16. Look what it says. Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you were right that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. You see, Jesus knew everything about this woman. Hebrews 4.13, later on towards the end of the Bible, it says, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before him. Jesus knew everything about this woman. And if you're here this morning, if you're watching online, I want you to know that Jesus knows everything about you. He knows your entire story. He sees all of you. He sees your mess. He sees your imperfections. He sees my deficiencies. He knows your entire story. He knows the things that you think about when you put your head on the pillow at night and things get quiet. He knows the things you hide. He knows your entire story. He knows the things that you're good at, the things that you're not so good at. He sees me. He sees us in our posturing, in our pretending, in our hiding, in all the ways that we try to deflect and run. But this God, This Jesus not only sees us, not only knows our entire story, he pursues us with his love and with his grace, and he runs after us. Maybe as you watch that clip, or just in the last few brief moments, you've you've gotten in touch with some parts of your own story, or your mind's kind of gone back to, man, I do have some stuff that I hide. I got some stuff that I posture. Lord knows that every time I watch that clip, my mind goes to my own story. Here's the thing. If you're feeling some guilt, if you're feeling some shame or some unworthiness in this moment, it's really important that we don't miss this. Let's look again at verse 16. Go call your husband and come back. Go call your husband. This was a prick to her conscience. You see, Jesus wanted her to know that there was indeed sin in her life. Jesus wanted her to know that there were parts of her story that weren't comfortable. He wanted her to know that there had been consequences to some of her decisions. He indeed saw her woundedness. He saw her shame. He saw her story. And he wanted her to know that that's not a surprise to him. 
But verse 16 doesn't stop there. Go call your husband and come back. That was a prick to her heart. That was for her to know that I see you. I don't leave you in your shame. I don't leave you in your story. Go call your husband, but come back. You see, this was an invitation to meet with her Messiah. This was an invitation for her to meet with her Savior. This was an invitation for her to discover her purpose, to discover who she was and who she belonged to and what that meant for her life. And friends, I want you to know this. You're never going to discover the purpose that God has for you until you first get in touch with your own story. Until you first just lay it all bare before the Lord. You see, until you meet with Jesus, until you experience what, it's, what it looks like to have him just gently look in your eyes and say, I love you, I love you, I love you. You're mine. Nothing can separate the love that I have for you. Nothing at all. Until you can see him looking in your eyes and saying, son, daughter, you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. You have a divine design. I've planted something in you. I have a vision for your life. I have purpose for you. Until you discover that, until you step into your identity as a son and a daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that you are now a member of a new economy, a new kingdom, you will never discover your purpose. And that's our invitation this morning, friends. This morning, Jesus is saying, I have come to give you living water, to drink from a well of which you will never be thirsty again, to experience life the way that you were created to live, to experience what can happen when you meet a man who knows everything about you and pursues you and loves you and get awakened to your purpose. Like the Samaritan woman this morning, Jesus knew that she came to this well in the middle of the day rather than in the cool of the morning. He knew that she came here to avoid having to answer questions by her friends and by her neighbors and be reminded about her own story. He knew that her shame and her story controlled her, yet he pursued her, and this morning he's pursuing you. And he's inviting you to discover your purpose. He's inviting you to discover your divine design because he loves you and he sees you. Here's the thing, though. Until we get in touch with our story, we will never discover the purpose God has for us. Friends, I can't say that enough. You see, the story of how Jesus met me, the story of how Jesus meets you is uncomfortable. It's countercultural. It flies in the face of cultural and societal norms 2,000 years ago when this story was recorded, and it flies in the face of all of those things today. You see, no matter how hard this woman tried to make herself matter, no matter how hard she looked for a husband to save her and to give her purpose, she could never, ever find that. She had to meet a man who knew everything about her that would first prick her conscience and then invite her to come back. To say, I love you. I see you. You have no idea what I've created you for. You see, friends, listen, God doesn't want comfortable Christians. Can I just say this? God doesn't need comfortable Christians. You weren't designed to be comfortable. You were designed to meet a man who knows everything about you and realize what happens when your story and his story collide and leads to your purpose. Friends, listen to this, though. Jesus is not in the judgment business. You see, and we expect to find judgment in this story. She for sure expected to find condemnation. She even saw it in the clip. Why are you doing this to me? Why? 
You don't think I know these things, Jesus. Why are you judging me? We expect to find that here. We expect to find that in our own lives. We expect to find judgment and condemnation if our stories are laid bare, if we're exposed, if we're actually seen. However, friends, Jesus is not in the judgment business. Jesus is in the restoration, resurrection business. That is the business that our God is in. You see, Jesus is in the business of turning stories of brokenness, hopelessness, shame, guilt, regrets, anxiety, depression, abuse, trauma, church hurt, mistakes, imperfection, flaws, and turning these stories into stories of hope, healing, and transformation. That is the business that our God is in. Guys, we are designed to meet a man who knows everything about us and have him turn our stories into ones of resurrection that lead to our purpose. And friends, when we discover Jesus, when we meet him in this way, when we are known and seed and, and pursued and loved, it stirs up something in us. It stirs us with faith. It's so overwhelming to us that we have to say, I gotta tell everybody about this. Where's this been? How do I tell people about this? Friends, that's what happens when our story, when God's story, collide which leads us to our second point god's story what is god's story god's story is one of relentless pursuit in this story we see jesus going out of his out of his way to speak to this woman he takes a road that no self-respecting jew would ever take to get to samaria and he does something no jew would ever do back in that day he speaks to a woman but not just any woman, he speaks to a Samaritan woman. And you have to understand that the Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. They didn't just have rivalry. They hated each other. The Jews viewed Samaritans in that time as second-class citizens. They actually called them half-breeds. There was something just deeply, deeply wrong in their relationships with one another. And here this morning, we find Jesus, the Jew of all Jews, talking to this woman this Samaritan woman. And here's what we learn. Maybe sometimes you sing this song here. I know we do that at our church. What we see in this encounter, Jesus talking to this woman, is that there's no lie Jesus won't kick down, no wall he won't tear down, coming yeah. after yeah. you. Jesus didn't go to the well for water. He went to the well for you and for me. That is the story of God. You see, no matter what societal norms tell us, no matter how much success, no matter how much we try harder, do more, no matter what our stories, what our failures have been, Jesus relentlessly pursues you. And that is the story of God. We don't take my word for it. Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, right in the very beginning of the Bible, right after they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden as a consequence from eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the one tree that Jesus said don't eat from, they ate from it. And they got kicked out of the Garden, so there was a consequence for their sin. But literally right after they were banished from the Garden, literally right after you find Jesus, you find God pursuing Adam and Eve. And I love this, Genesis 3 verse 21. It says, the Lord God made garments for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. He clothed them. He didn't leave them in shame. He didn't leave them in their story. He pursued them, and he clothed them. That's beautiful. 
He pursued them and he reminded them that though that he had seen what they had did, God knew everything about them. He knew that that was going to happen and yet that didn't stand in the way of his pursuit of them. See, going back to our text this morning, God not only told the woman at the well everything that she'd ever done, he told it to her with kindness, with gentleness, with the promise of purpose, with the promise of eternal life. He met her in her shame, and he met her in her story. Friends, listen to this. Jesus abides in our shame. Jesus abides in the dark places of our hearts and our minds and in our lives. And he sees you and he loves you and he is running towards you this morning. Here's what I don't want us to miss. This woman didn't find her purpose because she just attended church on Sunday or she gave to charity or she gave to church or she was doing all these good things to try to cancel all the bad things. She discovered something because she met a man who knew everything about her and pursued her. She discovered a scandalous love, a scandalous grace, and that collision led her to her purpose. And friends, I know you guys have a, an open house coming up on the, on the 28th. And friends, that's an invitation to begin a relationship with a neighbor or a friend and invite them to discover a man who will meet them in their story and let God do the rest. Trust him for that. You see, Jesus abides in our mess. He abides in our story. And through his grace, he points us to our identity as beloved sons and daughters. And he, and he shows us that he is a good, good father who knows us deeply, who knows us intimately. And he says, not only am I going to meet you and pursue you, you are now given a new name. You are now given a new identity. I call you son. I call you daughter. You're an ambassador for me, you are a citizen of my kingdom, and I'm going to plant something in you. I'm going to give you purpose. I'm going to give you gifts and abilities to change the context of your life, to change the context of all the places that your influence touches. And that's what happens. It leads us to our last point. When our story and God's story collide, it impacts the world. Friends, you see, this, this entire book, the Bible, is filled with prostitutes, murderers, crooked businessmen, liars, cheats, thieves, people that can't hide their sin. This entire book is filled with people with a story. This entire book is filled with people whose only hope in life was to meet a man who knows everything about them, yet pursues them and awakens them to their purpose. This and all the heroes of the faith, this entire book from top to bottom, is filled with people who encountered God in a powerful way that led them to say, I got to tell everybody about this. See, God's story is one of sending his son into the world to save the world, to awaken the world to a new way of living, to experience a life free from performing, free from posturing and hiding. God's story is scandalous. God's story transforms the world because God's story is centered on his son Jesus meeting you and allowing your story and his story to collide with a love and with the grace that empowers you, that not only changes you, but changes your world. What happens when your story and God's story collides, friends? South Florida begins to change. Your dinner table 
conversations begins to change. Your cubicles and your work environments begin to change. Your neighborhoods begin to change. Why? Because your heart has changed. You've been fully seen. You've been fully known. And in that, you are loved. You are pursued. And you've discovered your purpose as an ambassador of God's kingdom, no matter who you are or what you do, pilot, pastor, plumber, postal worker, it doesn't matter, seasoned executive, stay-at-home mom, IT professional, friends, listen, you have been given something. I think for far too long in the church, we have propagated this lie of the sacred and secular divide that says what John and I do on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday is all that matters in the life of the church. Your job is to make money, give to the church, give to charity, give to missions, all that stuff's great, but listen, what I do and what John does is just as important as what you do on Monday. It's just as important as your dinner table conversations with your kids. It's just as important of how you react when the Starbucks barista makes the wrong drink or you get cut off in traffic. Right? Lord knows I needed that today. thought I was going to get pulled over on the way here, but Lord met me. Listen, guys, your stories are ones of relentless pursuit. God sees you. He loves you, and he's created you for a purpose to grow his kingdom here in South Florida to everywhere your presence and your influence touches. Here's what happens when you meet Jesus, when your story and his story collide and you discover your purpose. Here's what happens. Again, don't take my words. Let's just read from 1 Peter verses 9 and 10 real quick. Here's what the scripture says. For you, God's people, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, the holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. This is what happens when your story and God's story collide. You find your purpose. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had received no mercy, but now you had received mercy. Once you let your story and your past define you and drive you, but now you are God's people. You've been given a new name, a new identity, and a new purpose to grow his kingdom. And what happens? The story of the world, the story of South Florida begins to change. Look with me at verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then what happened? Look at verse 30. They came out of the town and made their way towards him, towards Jesus. But I'm just going to have some fun real quick. I'm actually going to skip down to verses 39 through 42 because I want you to see what happens when you discover your purpose. Because we see even more fruit from this woman finding her purpose. You see, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more believed. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and know that this man really is the Savior. Of the world. When you discover Jesus, you lead others to discovering Jesus. When you discover your purpose, you lead others to discovering their purpose. Begins, though, 
By what? By getting in touch with your own story and letting it collide with God's story. And in that collision, letting it impact the world. Letting it impact South Florida. Friends, I'm just going to tell you, South Florida is never going to be transformed by, by churches coming together or people just simply inviting their friends to church and allowing John and I to do all the heavy lifting. That's just never going to work. South Florida will be transformed as people in our pews discover who they are, who they belong to, step into their calling, step into their purpose, and say, come meet a man who knows everything about me. This is the Christ. That's how South Florida is going to be transformed. The transformation of South Florida begins with you discovering your purpose. It begins by you getting in touch with your own story. And friends, as we close, I, I know that sometimes this, this passage at the woman at the well is not comfortable because it points us to places in our story that we don't like, things that we hide, things that we posture. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I'm going to share this, friends. For years, I struggled because I dropped out of high school. I was chasing my high school sweetheart. I dropped out of high school. I got a GED. I actually got a fake diploma online, fake transcripts. Went to my high school and said, hey, I've been piloting some online stuff. This was years ago. It's like this was right when the internet first came out. And he looked at me, stamp, stamp, stamp. Hey, that's great. You're done. So I actually have a, a diploma from West Springfield High School uh, in uh, Springfield, Virginia. But I actually dropped out. It was complete fraud. It was a lie. Went and got a GED the next day just to be on the safe side uh, because I was chasing love. And thank God I actually married her. Because that would have been real bad. <laughs> but friends, listen, listen. For years, for years, every time I would stutter, every time I was asked a question I didn't know the answer to, I'd be reminded the devil was whispering in my ear, you're nothing but a high school dropout. You see, friends, the devil has a really small and really effective toolbox. He whispers lies into our ears, and he gets us to believe those lies. And I'm friends, I'm telling you, I had to go to grad school two times. So I went to seminary and then I went back for an MBA and I had to be maga cum laude, summa cum laude. I had to prove it to myself that I wasn't stupid because for years I was believing the lies in my own story that Satan was whispering in my ears. It was uncomfortable because I hadn't yet allowed my meeting of Jesus to actually transform me. I hadn't stepped into my identity as a son. I didn't realize that that didn't matter anymore. That Jesus says, Eddie, I love you more than you could ever dare dream or imagine. I don't care about that. I've called you for something greater. And friends, we all have that high school dropout story, your version of that in your life, in my life. We all have that one thing, that two things that we, we know we try to hide and posture. And that gets in the way of us discovering our purpose. It keeps us coming to the well at the middle of the day because we're filled with shame. And friends, this morning is an invitation to meet with a man who knows everything about you and pursues you and loves you. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask John to come up and close us. But if you need prayer, if you want to meet this man today, we want to pray with you. If you feel like I need to discover my purpose, I've got places in my past and places in my story that, that are standing in the way of me actually telling everybody about Jesus and what he's done in my life, we want to pray with you. This is a journey, friends. We're all on it. We're all broken. This entire book is filled with messed up, crooked people that have done stupid things like I did. But could we allow God to meet us? I'm going to pray and John's going to come up. Father, we love you. You are a good father. 
Lord, I thank you for what you've shown us in this passage this morning. We thank you that in our collision of my, my, my pain, my past, my brokenness, my woundedness, when we meet you, we, we discover something. We discover that it doesn't matter what we've done right or what we've done wrong, how much money we have, how poor we are, how hard we try. None of that matters, Lord, because you are pursuing us and you're awakening us to your grace, to your love, and to your mercy. And God, would you point us to you? And as we find you, as we get in touch with the love that you have, would you awaken us to the purpose that you have for us to transform South Florida by the love and grace and mercy that we have found in you. Do that, God, not just in greenhouse. Do it across the churches of this region. Would there be awakening of your people, Lord, in your name? Would there be an awakening of people who step into their calling, into their identity as sons and daughters, and could South Florida be transformed because we've met a man who knows everything about us? Do that in my life, God. And do that here, we pray. 